0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to a bonus Wednesday episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very, very much, as always, for tuning in, for locking in today. Busy week, man. An important week. I don't really need to set that up. You guys already know that. Just had Benjamin Albright on yesterday, and I wanted to come right back. That was a national perspective, and I said, you know what? I want to find somebody to have a good Buffalo Bills conversation with that covers the team regularly from a a local perspective, and Anthony Brohaska from cover one is a guy right now. Okay. Now literally, and I mean, quite literally, we're about to have a conversation, which what did we talk for about 15 seconds there, Anthony? Yeah. before we started taping That's this just maybe just about <laughs> I've literally have never had a conversation with Anthony and I love that. I'm going to find out some stuff about you. Now, let me say this. I'm talking about personal conversations. Mm. I've seen a lot of your work on cover one. Oh, thanks. I'm a big fan. I love this guy's coverage. You do great work with that. You do great work with Greg and Aaron, two good friends of mine, two good friends of this podcast. You guys do the post games. It's it's a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of cover one. So whenever I get a chance to get somebody to to jump on, I I take advantage. And again, I just, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted you specifically. And before that, though, let, let me say this, or let me ask you this, I should say. Because again, I'm a fan of your work, but I really don't know anything about you. Like, are you from the Western New York area? Like, where are you?
2: Yeah. So born and raised, uh, Buffalo, New York, and I graduated college, went to live in New York city for nine years. Um, was Mm -hmm. in New York for a while. It was all right. Um, working and doing stuff. And then the idea was always to come back home to Buffalo. Um, but the only thing that was really keeping me in New York was, uh, well, she's my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time, I liked her. You know, your old stereotypical, you know, I stayed because of the girl, yada yada. But eventually, mm-hmm. you know, I brought her to Buffalo a lot. We would come like every three months. She really liked it out here. And you find that a lot with people from New York City as they get older. It's kind of like, I don't want to be in the city anymore. It's fun for a while. But as you want to start to, you know, wind down suburbs, start calling you a little more. Um, so I moved back to Buffalo December of last year, 2020, because uh, we got married in September of 2020, and then moved back in December. So it's just been over a year since I've been back home and yeah, it's fantastic. It's also nice that the bills are good again and I can really experience that whole environment here.
1: It really is cool. And it's, you know, look, there's there's nothing like home. i am born and raised in Buffalo. I went to Florida for five years. I just came back this past summer and uh it's nice. Well, it's not nice right now. Oh, sure. it's cold. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. All right. I'm not gonna lie about that. It, we're so we're taping this Tuesday night. I'm telling you right now, I got up Tuesday morning, quite literally, went right back in the house. <laughs> it's too cold, man. Yeah, that's what you for I the work you're home. Like, I work from home. Okay. My primary job is I work from home. So I don't really need to go out that much. So if I got enough food in the house and it's this cold, I ain't going
2: <laughs> anywhere. I wish I, I I wish I could have done that today. That was, uh, I worked from <laughs> home a couple days last week uh, with the storm at the back end of the week. That was just real rough. And today was when, yeah, I, I started the car. Went outside and got into it and just sitting there. I was like, no, this was a mistake. I should have also worked yeah. on it. Was a, it was brutally cold <laughs> today, man. Like my my bones were still cold like an hour after being inside. It was just wild.
1: Let me let me set the stage for something. And one of the, th- one of the things that I want to talk to you about today, and it's Tremaine Edmonds. Mm. And we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff. He's, he's just such a polarizing mm. figure with the Buffalo Bills, regardless of how you feel about him. Here's the reason why I, I, I sought you out to talk specifically about this. And and again, other stuff too. It's one thing to have an opinion and we all have them. Some are <laughs> more informed than others, quite obviously. And I, I have a lot of respect for a lot of podcasters out there. I, I truly do, man. There's a, there's a lot of great podcasts out there. Yeah. A lot of people who really know what they're doing. What I like about what you do and what Eric Turner does a lot yeah. from cover one specifically, I'm talking about cover one for the purpose of where I'm going with this now is you guys break down film uh, thank you, and you see stuff <laughs> it's one thing to have an opinion and, and, and recite stats. You know, it's another thing to be able to show people what you're thinking uh. so they can visually see what you're thinking or what you're saying, as opposed to just, I'm going to tell you this and trust me, I'm a smart person. So <laughs> you're going to, you're going to believe what I say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I sought you out and specifically, and again, we're going to talk about more than just Tremaine Evans. I mean, it's the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Jermaine Edmonds is one of 53 guys on this roster right now. Yeah. But I wanted to start there because he's just such a polarizing figure. And probably my biggest, my biggest beef, not beef, but I just go back and forth a lot with people on Twitter uh. with Jermaine Edmonds. Uh. And I've been, I, I, I had a podcast Monday. In fact, I, I literally, the title Anthony was, well, I think I was wrong about Jermaine Edmonds. <laughs> Because I'm not I haven't been a fan of his at all. I I think he was my my mindset was that he was an overrated linebacker. Okay. And let me tell you why though. Sure. Let me tell you why I ride that. And then I'm gonna get to some things about you and what you're gonna say. I just look at general well, first of all, I mean I watch the games too, you know, but like when you look at his stats and you look at the the general stats that a a lot of people, the average fan puts a lot of stock in. He's played sixty one games, he's four through what, four seasons now? (laughs) Oh, he's only got five and a half sacks in four years, four interceptions, zero forced fumbles, zero fumble recoveries. You know what I mean? You look at those stats on the surface and you're like, yeah, where, where's the impact yeah. plays? And you look at tackles and I still, and I do think tackles is a very overrated stat. And I look no further, Preston Brown, you know, Preston Brown would have a million tackles a year and never made a play that mattered. Mm. Now I'm not saying Jermaine Emmons doesn't do that but anyway so you look at those numbers and then you look at the fact that Tremaine Evans is now a two-time pro bowler Mm -hmm. and you look at the fact that he's got a 5th year option exercise or he's going to make 12.7 million or something like that next year and then whether it's Buffalo somebody's going to pay him you know what I mean so I think a lot of and I think I speak for a lot of Bills fans too who just think that he was overrated but then and I don't admit I'm wrong very often like I'm one of those guys who likes to die on the hill of (laughs) of a take I like that I, I do I admit it but I've been watching you discuss him, and I've been watching Eric, and I've listened to Greg, I've listened to Aaron, and I'm listening to a lot of smart people. I'm listening the New York Jets head coach. I'm I'm listening to a lot of people who know football that are just praising this guy left and right. I'm like, now I'm like, you know what? He's better than uh, giving credit for. Like, what's your what's your takeaway with Tremaine Edmonds? And as somebody who does watch a lot of film. And, and arrives at conclusions based on stuff like that, does it frustrate you when the average fan is just like, well, this guy ain't shit.
2: It's tremendously frustrating. And actually, even before I get into that, thank you so much for all the kind words and the intro and all the nice things you said about Cover One and, and myself. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, I've, I've known about your work for a while. I was pumped as hell when you followed me maybe like a couple of weeks ago, and then you DM me to come on the show. I was pumped. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, you and I, you and I, uh, we were involved in a little Twitter discussion, a, a, a pleasant one a couple days ago about Tremaine Edmonds and Mm -hmm. It is frustrating. I, I think with the conversation for Tremaine, I think what's even more frustrating for me is, you know, you mentioned it with myself and Eric and Greg and Aaron. And I feel like Eric and I, especially, I feel like we're now known as these like staunch Tremaine Edmonds defenders and like lovers of him. I don't even love him that much. Like, I think he's a good linebacker who makes more good plays than bad, but I fully recognize like he takes poor pursuit angles. His angles to the football aren't always great. His ability to, or his inability to get off blocks hinders him at significant times. And I recognize the raw stats and the flash plays and the splash plays and all that stuff. So I fully recognize his flaws. But what I think is frustrating is the things like you mentioned, that film study, what you see on tape and you see the impact that he has in his ability to man match and coverage or his ability to carry receivers up the field and how that influences what quarterbacks are doing, you know, you'll see a lot, especially in that passing game. You'll see quarterbacks look to the middle of the field or look to that read, and they see what Tremaine is doing, and then they're like, "Uh oh, no, I can't go there," and they have to go somewhere else. Or you see him blitz, and the type of blitz that he does—if he can't get to the QB, he just kind of sits, and he's done it a lot this year. And he just watches and has his hands up, and he jumps. He gets in that passing window, and he call—he allows pressures for other guys or he allows sacks for other guys. And then in the run game. I think he does still have work in terms of his run fits and his gap integrity at times, but I don't think it's the significant hindrance that a lot of people like to make it out to be. And I think that's the frustrating part with it all because he does things well. Some things he does very well, but to your initial point, it's not things that you can really track with the naked eye. It's not like you can point to this stat and be like, well, look how many interceptions he has. You know, he leads the Bills in stops but that's not really a stat that people look to regularly. People aren't right. watching the all 22 film. And most of the time they're just seeing the broadcast. So you're usually seeing what Tremaine Edmonds is doing in the run game. Cause a lot of times you're not seeing what the back seven are doing in, in coverage. So you're not seeing the impact that he's having on the offense. And I think that's the frustrating part because I, I legitimately pride myself on my objectivity. You know, I show the good, I show the bad, I put it all out there, analyze it, break it down. And it's come to the point where so many people are like, well, you just love Tremaine Edmonds, and you just love Tremaine Edmonds. And I've shown a lot of the negative, you know, including I'm still very mad he should have tackled Leonard Fournette on that third and one against Tampa Bay. Like he missed that tackle. Mm-hmm. That's on him. He, he that that he missed it. It is what it is. But I've also shown a lot of the good. And you, you mentioned it. We're just at this point with how polarizing he is. It seems like people either think he's fantastic and he's only 23 and he's going to be great. Or a lot of, or everyone else is on the other end of the spectrum. And it's he's terrible. He's a bust. He's a waste of a pick. And so much of that is tied to the expectation. And, you know, he he was 19 when we took him and we traded up. And he's in Sean McDermott's defense, the same defense that made Luke Keekly. And oh my God, he's going to be the next Luke Keekly. You see how big he is and strong he is. And because he hasn't hit those levels, people are so down on him. And yeah, it is, it is a frustrating part. And he's, I mean, but that you're going to expect that with how polarizing of a guy that he is, no matter what you do, you can just post a clip and you are going to get 10 comments saying how great he is. 10 comments saying that he's a word, he's the word, he's a bust. And it's just, it's so it it incites almost a riot. Like every time you talk about Tremaine Edmonds.
1: In fairness to Tremaine Edmonds, some of the things are beyond his control. It's not his fault. Like it's not, all right, he was a high first round pick. That's, Good. You know what I mean? It, it's, it, it's not something he can control. Um, making the Pro Bowl, you know, that, that people vote on that. Mm-hmm. Things like that. But when you get those accolades and those awards, I, I think those expectations, sometimes albeit unfair, come. Now, again, I am admitting fault and in, in, in being wrong with certain aspects of Tremaine Adams' game. I'll tell you another, and this admittedly is a pretty lazy-ass take, but <laughs> it's been one I've had. I'll tell people like say you and I were arguing, and you're telling me Tremaine Edmonds is really good, and I'm like, yeah, he ain't really that good. Hmm. You know what? I always would tell people, I'm like, dude, he's not even one of the best five players on his own defense. Because you can make the, I mean, you can make a fair point. You got
2: Poyer, you got Hyde, you got Trey White, you got Milano. That's four right there. I would maybe add Oliver. I would agree. Right now, I would. I like Tremaine Edmonds. I think he's done a lot of good things. Well. But, I mean, I'm not going to individually rank everyone else, but, I mean, Trey is ahead of him. Both safeties are ahead of him. Matt Milano's ahead of him. Ed Oliver's ahead of him. Um, And honestly, at some points this year, I might even say Taron Johnson was ahead of him with how great that he's played at times. So, I think that's... It shows you how talented
1: this this defense is because, in a way, I think they're interchangeable. You could tell me Jermaine Edmonds is better than uh, Ed Oliver, and I'll believe Mm you, or vice versa. I mean, it it speaks to that. I just, I don't know, man. I think at the end of the day, if, if you're a fan, you really need to trust the people that are giving you information. Mm. Like I've, I've, again, I've developed a trust for you. I've developed a, a trust for Eric when it comes to stuff. Cause I, you just spoke eloquently about it stuff. You could don't even, if you don't watch it all 22 other people's assignments, what other people are doing and stuff yes. like that. It's just, it, it sucks in a way that it's unfair how he gets evaluated mm-hmm. and, and the expectations that are put on him. And at least, Hey, I'm gonna pat myself on the back because like I said, I've kind of I've backed off, man. There's been some people who've been very high on Tremaine Edmonds, and I wasn't one of them, but I'm starting to see the light. Hopefully, I'll see the light a lot more in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, (laughs) well. He he can do a lot of
2: things to really, you know, turn the tide. He had a good game against the Jets, and he's had really good moments at times this year. And I, I think the key with it is, you know, even just the fact that you're willing to admit potential like fault in how you've seen someone is such a key like that that's happened to myself that happens to every single talent evaluator scout film watcher everything there's people who are like man that guy's not really that good and then you watch the film you're like oh my god i was wrong and i think that's the most frustrating part with the tremaine edmonds talk because there's a lot of people out there who even when you show them the film combined with the metrics and all that stuff they just want to move goalposts and it's a lot of yeah but and yeah but and they just won't come full circle And at that point, you know, you're kind of talking to a wall and it's unfortunate. And, you know, the person I feel for is for Tremaine Edmonds because he gets so much flack and so much criticism and the things that he does well, a lot of it, yeah, just goes under the radar and he doesn't get the credit that he deserves.
1: What about Devin Singletary? You're kind of switching Mm. gears here, talking offense. Plotted along, you know, you look at his stats for the year and they're actually pretty decent, but who cares about his overall stats for the year? I'm talking about the last four games he's become – young question feature back on this offense. I, I think he's got like 86 touches over his last four games. And Zach Moss has 16. I think I saw a stat where yeah, yeah Zach Moss has 16, um, 88 yards against the jets uh-huh. and over a hundred yards against Atlanta, 86 yards a month ago against Carolina. So three of his last four games, he's been very effective. Yeah. And like I said, it doesn't even, it feels so quiet, but he, he does have like 870 yards rushing this year. Plus he's caught 40 passes. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not, look, he, He's not a star by any means, but, You could see right now as the season has gotten later and going into the playoffs now, his role on this team has definitely increased. And I remember earlier in the year, and I'm sure you see it all the time on Twitter too, every time Singletary would make a play going back to week one or even going back to the summer, RB1, Mm -hmm. somebody would just tweet RB1, Zach Moss would make a play, RB1, (laughs) Matt Breida would make a play, RB1. RB1. (laughs) Well, Devin Singletary is your, like, legit, finally, the Bills do have an RB1, it seems to me anyway, and it's Devin Singletary. Like, what are your thoughts on him right now?
2: Um, He's definitely the RB1. I I put a tweet out earlier today. So the first 12 games of this season for Devin Singletary, 408 total snaps, only one game with more than 60 snaps, and he averaged 34 snaps a game. The last five Hmm. games, 306 total snaps four games with more than 60 snaps, and he averaged 61 snaps per game. He wow. is the clear RB1 at this point. Like, 408 total snaps in your first 12, and then 306 in your last five, averaging 34 your first 12, 61 your last five. He is clearly the guy. And, you know, Brian Dable in this offseason, and even last year too, they've talked about it at times, like riding the hot hand when it comes to the running back. And we've seen that a lot in games, To the, even to the point where it seemed like purposefully done where it was like, well, this is going to be a Devin Singletary drive. And then this is going to be a Zach Moss drive. And this is going to be a Singletary. And then we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter. We saw the Matt Breida experiment. I would still like Matt Breida to get some more touches. I think his speed is real. And I think he could do some things for this offense, but it's hard to argue with what Devin Singletary has done and how that hot hand has come to play. It seems like Dable and this offense has kind of realized like, you know what? Devin Singletary is the hot hand, but it's not the hot hand from a granular perspective where it's like drive to drive or game to game. It's just purely he's the hot hand because of what he's done these last X amount of weeks and they keep giving him the touches. And like you mentioned with the stats, it's hard to argue. He's pulling off, he's pulling off runs that, are are showcasing his ability to win in multiple ways. He's showing the proverbial, you know, make a guy miss in a phone booth type of moves. But then he's also showing power. He's running through arm tackles. He's running through defenders who are trying to square him up. He's attacking shoulders and getting forward. His run for the touchdown uh, a couple weeks ago against New England, where he ran through Jawan Bentley, that's a a legit linebacker in Jawan Bentley. He's a thumper. He's bigger than Singletary. He's known for coming downhill and sticking dudes in the hole. Singletary ran through him and it wasn't like he caught Bentley off foot. That was squared up. Bentley saw him coming. He ran through him. We've seen runs like that over the last several, not even several, like four, five, six weeks combined with those longer runs, those burst runs, those explosive runs. And he's got a stranglehold on this position. And, you know, I think when you combine it with a lot of the things that are being said in press conferences, um, you know, Aaron mentioned it this past week on the postgame show, like the positives that are being said about Devin Singletary that are not being said about the other running backs, you can almost kind of infer, you know, that those guys aren't doing those things. You know, Devin Singletary is being talked about, you know, he's, he's always in the right spot. He always knows his assignment. He does the right thing. Those things aren't being said about Zach Moss and Brita. And you got to think that eventually those things added up and contributed to Singletary getting these touches. But the thing is, he's doing things with these touches. It's definitely his spot to lose. And if we, if we progress in these playoffs, I expect this to continue to be the workload. I don't think we're going to see a Zach Moss game or a Matt Breida game unless, knock on wood, something happens to Devin Singletary. This is his backfield at this point, and they're going to ride the hot hand, and he's the hot hand.
1: Well, let me say this too. I'm really glad that you talked about some of his runs specifically because the easy thing would be to say is that the offensive line is playing much better. And by the way, the offensive line is yes has looked much better. Sure. There's no question about that. But to your point. He's made some good runs on his own. Even when the block he was in there, he's run through some tackles. He's made people miss. Yeah. And then he's had those burst runs like you saw. But talk about the offensive line a little bit. Obviously, I mean, I guess Bill's fans might know more than management at this point because everybody was clamoring for baits all yeah. season long. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, he gets in and it's like, I don't know. I, I have no idea if it's coincidence or not. But all of a sudden, this offensive line just looks completely different. That New England game to me was the... The turnaround, the second New England game, I'm talking about when Dawkins was not healthy enough to start the game, mm-hmm. but then Biker went down. Dawkins ends up coming in. The, the just ever since the, the offensive line has looked really good, quite frankly, now yeah. for a month.
2: I, I I think you're spot on with that. It's it's been a nice change, and I think Bates coincidentally, you know, has been kind of the spark for that offense, and I think kind of a tipping point because what we've seen for this offense all year leading up to, you know, Bates really being inserted in there is they were just always kind of caught in between, especially in the run game. They didn't really have anything to hang their head on. They weren't holistically athletic enough to run a pure zone scheme up front. And they weren't physical enough and proper with their execution in order to really run a lot of gap. And Bates has come in and his athleticism is tremendous. You know, his relative athletic score coming out of college is like a 9.4 out of 10. He's tremendously athletic, but he's also shown a lot of physicality. And that has allowed this Bills offensive line to execute more of these pin and pull runs that we continue to see work week in and week out for the Bills. You've got Mitch Morris, who's one of, if not the most athletic center in the NFL, especially in space. Spencer Brown, who is this athletic and nasty ball of clay. Darrell Williams can still move pretty well for a guard. And then you have Dawkins who can move a bit. And now you've got Ryan Bates, who's really athletic combined with the physicality He's allowed for this Bills offensive line to have the ability to start to hang their hat on something, and that's the ability to run these pin and pull runs, to attack with more gap scheme, to use some counter runs, some almost like old school power football. And we've seen in a lot the big Devin Singletary runs that you're seeing, a majority of them. Our pin and pull runs. Think about that first one in the second half against Tampa Bay to that right side, pin and pull, and he shoots through the gap. Think about Josh Allen's touchdown run a couple weeks ago. They run uh, GT Bash with Josh Allen, and they're pulling from the backside. So Bates's athleticism has really, I think, solidified his this, his position in this offensive line. I think this has to be the group going forward. With all due respect to Feliciano and Cody Ford, I don't think either of them are seeing the, the, this this lineup unless God forbid something happens up front Bates has been a nice piece. And as the bills, you know, hopefully continue and progress in these playoffs, they're going to see better units up front and better defensive fronts. And then we're, we're going to get a real true test of how this line fits and how they perform because the competition hasn't been great these last several weeks. And even new England in that second game, they played the bills a little differently, especially in past rush situations and didn't really test. They tried to have more of muddled and contain rushes to stop Josh Allen and take away his legs. But Like you said, they've, they've performed well and that's all we need. This isn't, we don't need this line. Ideally we have like a top five offensive line because we have a top five QB, but we don't need them to be a top five offensive line. Just be average to above average and that's it. But stay there. You cannot have games where sometimes you look like a top 10 offensive line and then games where you look like a bottom five offensive line. We cannot have that ebb and flow with those peaks and valleys. And that's what we were seeing in the beginning half and the first three quarters of the year. But coincidentally, since the insertion of Bates, we've seen more stabilization, and that's tremendously important, combined with the ability to hang their head on something in the run game. It's been nice to see, and it's been needed for Josh.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, I'm back with Avani from Cover One. Let me ask you a hypothetical, and it, and look, it means zero, nothing at all. But I'm gonna ask you anyway, because I, I just had Benjamin Albright on the show yesterday, mm. and he kind of he's awesome. I was I was taken back a little bit, and I disagreed with him for the record. But I want to get your take on it. I asked him if you were a Bills fan, and you were watching that craziness that was going on late Sunday, the Chargers cool. the Raiders game, wild. You know, your your heart's jumping through your chest, regardless of how you wanted it to play out. But I thought I asked him if he thought the Bills fans would prefer to play New England, the enemy no, as opposed to what I saw from Justin Herbert over those last five minutes. He was dead adamant saying the Bills should have wanted to play the Chargers. Mm. That if you're a Bills fan, you want the Chargers to have won that game. He said, well, and in fairness to him, he was right. Because I said, well, Justin Herbert, you saw what he did. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, you need to have faith that your quarterback can be better than him. And then you take that away, and the Bills are just a better football team. You got the Chargers, West Coast, going to the East Mm -hmm. Coast, no defense, you know, this and that, yada, yada, yada. I don't know, though, but I still disagree because I'm like, Josh Allen could play really good, and this guy could just play elite Mm -hmm. and throw a. 380 yards and four touchdowns, and you lose a wild game. What was your take? Like, not, I again, it. it's completely irrelevant. The Bills are obviously picking the Patriots, and that's all that matters now. But just for the sake of discussion, anyway, just amuse me. Like, when you were watching that game Sunday, what, as a Bills fan, what did you want to see? I was
2: torn, you know, and especially going into the weekend, my dream scenario was to play the Raiders in the first round. And I'm mm-hmm. also picking myself because a win against Jacksonville or a win against Tennessee, and we're either. The second seed or the first seed, and for the first seed we get the buy. For the second seed, we would have gotten Pittsburgh. So all these scenarios are running through my head. Sure, but yep. going into that Sunday night game, I was torn with planning to play the Chargers or the Patriots because I think you know playoffs are football in general is all all about matchups, but especially in the playoffs. And the Chargers have a porous run defense. Um, they are thirtieth in DVOA against the run, twenty sixth overall in defensive DVOA. They've shown a lot of leakiness. But, and I know the right side of their offensive line, I mean, it showed in that game against the Raiders, their right side is banged up and they're just not Mm -hmm. fit and they cannot protect Herbert. But they've got some elite guys, even just you know, starting with the defensive piece. Bills played the Chargers last year. They won. Joey Bosa had a phenomenal game. He was a game wrecker for the Chargers up front. And I think about that and be like, okay, how would they have handled Bosa? I think Derwin James is tremendous. How would they have handled Derwin James? They've got some speed on the defense. They may not execute And I like that matchup more for the Bills, you know, against the Chargers defense than I do the Patriots defense. But then you go to the offensive side, and like you mentioned it, you've got Herbert and all these weapons. And I know the Bills secondary since Tradavius White has been out. They perform admirably, especially at the corner position. The real only test for me was that Tampa Bay game. But again, I thought they played decently well, all things considered. But the Chargers have such weapons on the outside. Mike Williams, size and speed. Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in the NFL. Even Jalen Guyton Guyton and Palmer. These guys are like 4'3", 4'4", 40 guys that can just burn and get upfield. And I recognize, you know, the West Coast team coming east, time zone difference, cold, weather, all that kind of stuff. Herbert is... Similar to Josh Allen with the cannon that he has and the mobility that he has, and he's a decent equalizer. And then you get to the strength of the left side of that offensive line through the center position in Corey Lindsley. You've got a really good weapon out of the backfield in Austin Eckler. I thought this offense had the potential to give the Bills defense problems. So I don't think it's a slam dunk that I would have preferred the Chargers. I do wish we were playing the Chargers, but it's close. Maybe like Fifty five, forty five in terms of percent or fifty two, forty eight. but again it's all matchup basis and I'll and I got to admit part of it is I the only thing that would be worse than losing in the playoffs would be losing to the New England Patriots in the playoffs and that <laughs> is in my brain I do not want an offseason of being like we lost to Mac Jones and the Patriots I don't want that like so I'd rather just avoid it completely you know as a baseball guy I'm a Red Sox fan and, you know, going into Yankees, Red Sox and the wild card this year, I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose Pierre, but I don't want to lose the Yankees. I don't want to lose to the Yankees. Like it's so nerve wracking when you have that ultimate rival and team that you hate. And so I would have avoided the Pats from an emotional perspective. Also schematically, I think the Chargers were a better matchup, but it's close. I don't think it's easily a hand down decision one way or the other. You can make a case for both sides.
1: I think you're right. And again, it's just for fun because it's, it's not happening. My thing was, I feel like, with the exception of the Tampa game, which you talked about, I really feel like the corners haven't been tested all that much, and that's yeah. not really expected to come this week anyway. It would be if, if the Bills advance and they were to see the Chiefs or the Bengals, yeah. you know, then you're getting into a better receiving core than, than what they're going to see. But, yeah, it, it, it's fun. And I'll tell you what, you're right. If you, if you go back to August and you said, the, what's the worst possible ending to this season that you could ever come up with, maybe losing the Super Bowl would be number one. But number two would be losing at any point in the postseason
2: to the New England Patriots. It doesn't get any worse than that. And then you got to live with it all offseason. Like, and you're just sitting there with it. And then think about all the national media publication of, well, the Bills won the AFC East, but the Patriots won in the playoffs. It's really their division. Is Mac Jones the next Tom Brady? How great is Mac Jones? Did you guys hear about Mac Jones? Look at Mac Jones. I don't want to do it, man.
1: (laughs) How much do you think, moving on to Saturday night now, this weather's. It's supposed to be terrible. It's supposed to be absolutely frigid freezing. Now, maybe maybe not wet, maybe not windy, which is definitely more important than just cold. All right, so I'll put that out there. But that said, you know, Matt, Matt Fairborn from The Athletic had a stat, and mm. your boy Aaron Quinn was going at him a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Which I think, who who doesn't Aaron Quinn go at I it? I love yeah. Aaron. He's like my brother to me, man. But, yeah, dude just likes to – he just likes to debate. He should have been, like, on every debate team in school. He probably would have been <laughs> awesome at it. But, anyway – Matt Fairburn put out a stat, and I know Matt well enough to know that he's not trying to troll or, or you know, stir controversy. Mm-hmm. He was putting out a stat. That's a legit stat. Josh Allen, five, five games in his career, sub-31 degree temperatures. His record is 3-2. and two. He's only completed 50.3% of his passes. He's averaged 166 yards per game passing, mm. six touchdowns, seven interceptions. Those are not good numbers. Now, again, there's, there should be more context. Yeah. Who are the opponents? Yes. What's the situation? There's a lot that, you know, it's easy to just, like I said, if I want to make Jermaine Evans not look good, I could throw. I already did throw out some stats to make him not look good. Uh-huh. But we, we just talked about it. That's not the case. Josh Allen's not going to be a shitty quarterback because it's cold. That's not what I'm <laughs> saying. But, I mean, those, those are numbers that, you know, they're noteworthy of nothing else. Yeah. And, there's, and there's two teams out there. You know, the, the weather's going to affect both teams. Uh-huh. What's your take on this? Like who's the this is the other thing. So everyone's been fighting all year about Tremaine Evans on Twitter. <laughs> this week it's about who's at the bigger disadvantage, the shittier the weather is. Because on one hand, we already know what Josh Allen and on the other hand, Mac Jones. But like Mac Jones ain't really that good to begin with. It could be eighty degrees and sunny. Matt Jones ain't <laughs> Josh Allen anyway. So you know what I mean? Does it affect the Patriots more? Like the worse the colder it is, the worse the weather. Well, if it's windy, it obviously would affect Buffalo negatively
2: worse. But Even just cold, like this weather, like what's your opinion? What's your take on into this game? I'm more concerned about potential wind than I am cold. Not that the cold can't affect it, but I'm more concerned about the wind. And it really comes down to, specifically with the Patriots, how they played the Bills the first time. So on the year, the Patriots lead the league in single high coverages. So middle of the field coverage. 65% of the time they are in single high coverages. That is the most in the entire NFL for the entire season. So again, 65%, 65%. That is the most drill that number in your head. That mm-hmm. first Monday night football game week 13 with all the wind and all the craziness, the Patriots were in single high coverages. 86% of the time. That is wild. How much they were in single high coverage, especially wow. considering how teams have played the bills this year, going in more two high shells, pre-snap two high coverages, post-snap in addition to, you know, having more zone coverage underneath the weather. If it's windy, favors what the Patriots want to do. They want to go single high. They want to clog the short to intermediate. And if they don't have to honor the vertical threat or the intermediate part of the game, like they didn't in that first, uh, game against the bills in Buffalo on Monday night, they're able to do some things. They want to eliminate Josh Allen's legs. If you've got more guys around the box and you're playing zone coverage around the line and everything, it's easier for you to limit Josh Allen. They also want to play a lot of man coverage, 34% man coverage on the year in both week 13 and week 16. They played 39% man coverage against the Bills. So expect to see that somewhere like every four out of 10 snaps, they're going to play man. I think with the weather, if it's windy, that's what concerns me because it gives the Patriots the ability to play to their strength on defense, which is crowd, the box crowd, the line of scrimmage, play single high looks, bring Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips down and have those looks inside the box and around the line. And then on the offensive side, it's tricky because if it's windy, right, or if it's cold, Josh Allen has the arm strength to throw almost through anything. He showed it in that Monday night game in the fourth quarter. Once they decided, like, okay, guys, we got to throw the ball, it was like, oh, man, we probably should have thrown the ball this whole game. If it's windy, it hinders Mac Jones even further than, like you mentioned, a nice 80-degree weather you know day already does. But the ability for the Patriots to lean on the run game, If it's windy is the only thing that gives me a little, you know, worry. But again, I think they're going to try and lean on the run game anyway, regardless of the weather. They want to come and attack this Bills team through the ground. They want to make things easy for Mac Jones. They want to take advantage of, honestly, the advantage that I think they have up front. The Pats offensive line is strong. They're physical. They're talented. And they can move. The Bills defensive line is not built to stop a team that wants to run the ball 30 to 40 times a game. They're built to stop Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. They're built to one gap and be aggressive and compress the pocket. They are not built to take on big physical offensive linemen. What you're going to see is like what you've seen multiple times against the Pats this year, where they're going to have plays where they knife into the backfield and they get a stop for minus two or minus three, but then they're also going to give up gains of 10, 15, 20, maybe even more. So the only reason the weather concerns me is really because of the effect that it's going to have on the Bills' offense. I think regardless, the Pats want to run the ball on on their side. And to your point, Mac Jones is Mac Jones. The weather just makes him worse. It'll maybe make him run it a little more, but then it clues that to the Bills' defense even further. But if it's windy or cold or rainy or snowy or wet – it hinders Josh and the Bills' offense more than it does the Patriots. So I think if it's bad weather, it's advantage Patriots, but I don't think it's enough to really push them over the top because this Bills team, to me, is a better football team overall.
1: Folks, let me say this. I'm, I'm la- I was laughing on the inside when you were saying this, and I, I suppose I should elaborate a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what you just listened to is a legitimate Buffalo Bills analyst right now we agree. All right, let's put that out there. I agree 100% with you. The difference is you said all that so elaborately. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I have one sentence in my notes. I said, weather is a factor that's going to pull the superior quarterback down closer to the inferior one. Mm. And the difference is your boy Ant is a Bills analyst, and I am a pod, podcast talk show host, and, and I have conversations, and I interview people. <laughs> that's, that's the difference right there because yeah, man, you're, you're hundred percent. Right. I, I agree with every, literally every single word that you said, I look, I, I hope the weather is as nice as possible. All right. And, and this whole, you know, I remember back the Marv Levy days. I'm older. I remember those days so well, you know, what was it when it's too tough for them? And that's right. Just for, right us. for us. Yep. Yeah. Leave that shit in the night. <laughs> all right, man. I'm, <laughs> I don't want it to be zero degrees out, but if it's going to be zero, yeah, definitely no win. Now, would you expect kind of, let's just say the elements are cold. It's going to be cold, but like manageable at least. Like It's not going to be like it was the first time they yep. played. You kind of expect Josh Allen and New England's defensive approach to be a little bit like the second game. Josh went off on New England. I'm looking at it up now. 30 for 47, 314 yards, three touchdowns. Plus, he ran for 64 yards. He carved up the Patriots the second time around. Yeah. You can't expect it to be that easy. Again, but at the same token, I, I expect the Bills offensively to be significantly better than they were the first time they played in Orchard Park as well, right? That's a fair assessment.
2: Yeah, I think that first game was not that you can throw it out completely because of all the variables and what the weather was and what the elements were, but it, that game was just so wild. And granted, some of those elements may be, you know, rearing their ugly head again this week. So that plays um, into it when it comes down to, you know, predicting this game. But What's really interesting is, you know, you mentioned Josh Allen's legs. I think that's what Belichick and the Pats want to take away. We talk about this with every Patriots game, right? He, Belichick always wants to take away your number one thing. If it's this mm-hmm. receiver, this tight end, this running back, so on and so forth, right? And I was really interested to see what he did against the Bills in week 16. And we saw some because what we've seen before, we've seen some double coverage on Diggs, We've seen some double coverage on Beasley from time to time. And I was thinking like, okay, they're going to try and take away Diggs, They're going to make Josh go to somebody else. But what I think the number one thing they tried to take away was, was Josh Allen's legs, the type of rushes that they gave and the way they attacked with their pass rush and how they were spying Josh and how they were having, you know, robbers and rats in the middle of the field that weren't really focused on coverage. They were focused more on Josh and what he was doing. I think they really want to limit Josh's legs and, His ability to run in this game I think is going to be important no matter what. I I think it comes down to is he going to run the ball via design runs or is he running the ball via scrambles? Either way, he can be dangerous, but we've seen him do both for this Bills team, especially the last several games down the stretch. He's had really good runs off of scramble when protection is broken down and he's read what's going on in front of him and he gets out, and we've seen him execute on these QB powers and these GT bashes and pin and pulls where he's been able to get behind Mitch Morris and Spencer Brown, and Deion Dawkins, and that whole crew up front, I think the Bills are going to need him to run to what capacity I think is going to be determined by how the Patriots play him and ultimately how the weather kind of shakes out um, in terms of winning. Everything is, again, I think it's going to be a factor, but I think Josh Allen's legs have to be a part of this game, of this story, as they are every week. I mean, he's he's a dual-threat quarterback. You're going to see it every week. One week, he might beat you with the arms. The one week, it might be the legs. It might be both, but his legs are going to be important. I think it's going to be needed based on how the Pats are going to play him in coverage.
1: There's one other factor, too, or difference, I should say, between the first time the Bills played New England and the second time. Obviously, it's not as big of a factor as potentially 40-mile-an-hour wins that would trump everything, but the first time the Bills played, and I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I think Isaiah McKenzie was a healthy scratch that game. Mm. I'm pretty sure he was. He was inactive. And the second time when they played in New England, McKenzie just went absolutely. I, I he went off against yeah. the Patriots. That's the game where he had like 11 catches. I Cole Beasley was out that game. I think like, it was yeah. like
2: 11 catches, like 125 yards, touchdown. Yeah,
1: and, and a touchdown. Yeah. And he and a touchdown. And he was in motion. They ran jet. You know, <laughs> at least even. Do you feel like when you're trying to stretch a team out and make respect more, having a guy like Isaiah McKenzie in the lineup, even if he's not getting, he's he's not probably gonna have 11 catches again. That's not what I'm suggesting. Mm. But just having him out there. Having him in motion, doing things, makes the defense account for more. Whereas that first game, he was in the doghouse because of the the muff yeah. punt, and uh, you know he he might make it. Well, he did make a difference the second time around. I think maybe
2: just him being out there might make New England account for some things differently as well. I think that's spot on because so so here's the thing. Here, here's another take that I really not wanted to like fight back against. Um, Eric did a little bit on Twitter, but you know McKenzie had that game against New England, and a lot of people were coming out were saying. Mackenzie's better than Beasley. McKenzie should be the guy, so on and so forth, all this stuff. What the Bills are doing with Isaiah McKenzie in that second game against New England, they were doing things that Cole Beasley does not do. Mainly, they were running McKenzie on those deep overs and those deep crosses. And that worked for two reasons. One, Isaiah McKenzie, like we know, he's fast. He's got long speed. He's got short area speed. He's got burst. He's got quickness, all that kind of stuff. So he's got an advantage on routes like that. But the New England defense in that game in week 16 against the Bills, they were playing a lot of single high coverage and they were playing a lot of man coverage. And those deep overs and those deep crossers, they work really well against man coverage. They work really good against single high coverages, cover one and cover three, and especially against cover one. And we saw that time and time again. We saw Devin McCourty in the center of the field. We saw poor, poor Miles Bryant lined up in man coverage on McKenzie and McKenzie just, okay, cool, over the field, wide open, over the field, wide open, both sides. I think... If the Pats are going to play the Bills like that again in this game, which honestly I think they're going to based on the coverage they showed in week 16, they weren't too far off again from their year averages. So I gave you the week 13 numbers in their first matchup earlier, but again, 65% single high coverages on the year in week 16, they did that 55% of the time. So not too far off from their 65% average. And they were in man coverage on 39% of snaps. I think they're going to run that same thing. That's also Belichick's bread and butter when, situations get tough. When times get tough, he goes to man coverage. That's what he likes. That's what he wants to do. I think Isaiah McKenzie can win in those situations, especially if you know we saw Jalen Mills was placed on the COVID list today for New England. Miles Bryant was taken off it. If Jalen Mills doesn't play, that hinders what the Pats can do in the secondary. He's a key piece on the outside with his uh, coverage versatility and what they like to do. But I think you could see McKenzie be a factor based on what he does attacks the kind of defense the Patriots run and that that's a big thing like I feel like every week people keep saying well look what McKenzie did against the Patriots and how come he's not doing it this week how come they're not running those same plays certain plays can work overall but they're designed to attack certain coverages and certain philosophies on defense and what McKenzie does well is attack the style of defense the Patriots are going to play so I think you could see him with an important role especially again if they can get him in those situations and the weather isn't too crazy and they can stretch the field and they can get him on those deep overs and deep crossers. And I love it. I think it's important. Like you mentioned, like the bills don't have Stefan Diggs is quicker than he is fast. Gabriel Davis is deceivingly fast. And I guess like the vertical threat, Emmanuel Sanders has been a vertical threat at times, but they don't really have a ton of speed and yards after catch potential on this offense. McKenzie is the guy that offers in that combined with a coverage beater based on what routes he's good at and his skill set, it could be an advantage for the Bills. And I like it a lot.
1: Good point. All right, I got two more things and I'm going to let you go. And they're concerns of mine. And let me be clear. First of all, I like the Bills to win on, on Saturday night. I'm going to put that out there right now. But it's also, it's not my job to to be a Bills fan on this podcast. <laughs> I, do I want the Bills? Of course I want the Bills to win. I'm a lifelong Bills fan. But I am speaking objectively, okay? And there's concerns, all right? You got to open up some wounds right now, and I'm going to open up two of them. Number one, the Bills defense, number one in the league. I mean, they've been absolutely fantastic this year. But if you want to look at it from another perspective, they've beat up. They've also, the schedule's been very friendly to this defense, I should say. They have beat up on a lot of bad teams. Uh, They've looked pretty shaky against good teams, a lot of good teams. Um, The first time they played the Patriots, 222 yards rushing on the ground. Even even the game they won the second time, 149, um, you know, they've owned the the Davis Mills and the Taylor mm-hmm. Heinekes and the Trevor Simeons of the world. But and here's the good news. I mean, look, Mac Jones ain't Aaron Rodgers, but Mac Jones also ain't Josh Rosen or Nathan Peterman either. <laughs> I mean, the guy could make some plays. What I'm saying is this, is as good as the defense is, they still have, they, they got a lot to prove. They, got, they have to show that they could stop the run because that has Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry. Damian Harris, it's been a problem. And I don't think it's a secret what the Patriots are looking to come in and do. So, I mean, they, they still got this defense as good as it is. Being a
2: number one defense, they still got a lot to prove, I think. I think they do as well. And I think it starts with the run. I don't think the run defense has been as bad as we've. Seen it at times or what we think it is even in that monday night game i know the total yards they gave up but i believe it was like five out of the nine drives the pats had they went for like they went on three they went uh three and out they had like five drives or they had six yards or less. the bills did some good things and even with um their their stuff percentage this is this is something i love it's from football outsiders so stuff percentage measures how often a running back is tackled at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. And you can measure it offensively and defensively. So from a defensive perspective, the Bills have the third highest stuff percentage at 22%. So on 22% of runs, they're tackling running backs at or behind the line of scrimmage, which speaks to their aggressive nature up front, their one-gapping ability to attack, penetrate, get in the backfield and make plays. Um, on the year, they're 11th in run defense DVOA, first in overall DVOA for the defense as well. They've been such a strong unit, but all of that, again, to your point, is going to be meaningless unless they come out and shut down this Patriots offense and it starts with that run game. And I think a lot of it, not to not to give the Bills a pass, I think it is an advantage for New England and kind of a mismatch. Again, the Bills, like I said earlier, are built to defend passing attacks. They were built this offseason, despite the fact that Bean didn't say it and McDermott danced around it. They were built to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They are not built to face... Sure. Yep. They're not built to face the Patriots or the Colts or the San Francisco 49ers teams that want to just lean on the ground and attack with the run and attack with the run and can beat you in multiple ways, especially from a physical standpoint. Like I think they would succeed more against a zone based team, maybe like the Niners, but with gap teams or power teams like the Colts or the Patriots teams that can pivot to that again, they're not built for that starlet Tulale and Harrison Phillips are probably their quote-unquote run stuffers, but they're not huge guys. They're not mountain movers. They're good at the point of attack at times, but they also get moved out of the hole at times. They can be out-muscled, and they can be outgunned up front, and it's, it's hard to be consistently gap sound in your run integrity on defense, and I think that's the biggest thing that is going to come into this game because when you are a smaller, penetrating, quicker, faster defense, in order to stop teams from running in general, but especially when they're pulling guys and they're taking a gap from one side and moving it to another, you have to be consistently sound in how you attack. And it's, it's hard to do that. If a team's running at you 30, 40, 50 times, like the Patriots might want to do. It's hard to, you know, if I know, all right, Pat has the A gap. I have the B gap. Uh Oh, Pat went into the B gap. That means I got to go to the A gap. You're doing that for everybody in the front on that run fit in that run integrity situation. It's hard to consistently be good at that. And I think the defense has something to prove because I think the word is out there that you can run on this defense, that they're not the strongest in the interior, whether that means star and Oliver and Phillips, or whether that means the second level play with Milano and Edmonds. And, you know, people want, are, are aware that Tremaine Edmonds can struggle to get off blocks at times. I think they have something to prove. I think they have a bell to answer. I think they can do a lot for themselves going forward if they shut this Patriots run game down. And again, I think it's needed to because if you have to commit more people to the run, it gives Mac Jones the potential to find one-on-one matchups on the outside. It makes his life easier if the Pats can run the ball. So yeah, I think they need to answer the bell, shut this run down in a hurry, and let everybody know that the metrics that you see, both raw and advanced, speak to how good of a defense we are. And you know they can they can again answer all those critics and shut everybody up by just stopping this patriots run run game out quick
1: one final potential concern of mine and it's not really discussed much but well actually hopefully it doesn't come into play but it could um the buffalo bills is you have won 11 games and 11 times they've won by a dozen or more points yeah. and you look at their losses this year there's been six of them five of their losses pittsburgh 7 tennessee 3 jacksonville 3 New England four, Tampa three, and overtime. And then they had the one indie blowout loss where they got smacked that <laughs> game. But only five and one score games, man. Yeah. If this is a, a game that goes late into the fourth quarter, that's something to, to be concerned about. I mean, the Bills, again, when they win, they just go out and they dominate teams, <laughs> including the New England Patriots, who they're facing Saturday. So I mean they beat they beat them handily the first time they, or the second time they played them, but it's gotta be something that you're at least a little bit concerned about. If it gets to be that fourth quarter and this is a, a three-point game, the Bills have not finished uh, a game out this season. That's been a close one.
2: I think that's a very fair point, And it's definitely something I'm worried about. One, just from the perspective of who the team is that we're playing. You know, you're looking at A team led by Bill Belichick who's, you know, when you get into those fourth quarters and the game is close and everything's tight, then it comes down to a lot of situational football and Bill Belichick is arguably the greatest, you know, situational football coach of all time in just terms of what he can do and what he knows how to do and how to throw you off and how to take advantage, so on and so forth. But, and focusing on the Bill's side of it as well, I think a lot of what this team does stems from Josh Allen, right? And I think this team goes as far as Josh Allen goes. They take their vibe and their energy from him. They feed off of him both positively and negatively. And when games are close and when things are tight, we still see that ability from Josh Allen ability in kind of a negative way where he starts to press. He starts to make several reads and throws or tries to keep plays alive in certain ways that he shouldn't. And when he starts to press in that way, I think the defense starts to press. The offense starts to press. The team as a whole starts to press. That's what Worries me a little bit in a close game like that, combined with it being Belichick on that other side. This team is, you know, Greg Thompson said it several weeks ago on one of the post game shows that this Bills team is a, and he didn't mean it necessarily like this, but the Bills are a front running team that when they get out early, boom, it's over, it's done. When they get they flex on you, man. They get up. Yep. They're going to let you know. They're like Steph Curry when the Warriors are up by 20 and he's shooting threes from half court and (laughs) he's dancing and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But when they're down or when it's close, It's a different vibe and it's a different team. My hope is since that Tampa Bay game in the second half, I said it after, I think a lot of things have changed. That game was so tremendously important. And I didn't want to, you know, and a lot of people were coming at myself and Greg and Aaron on Twitter and in the post game for there's no moral victories and stop trying to find silver linings and all that stuff. And I don't think we were, but I think the message was so important. This team in that Tampa Bay game, Tampa Bay came out and dominated the Bills in the first half. They punched him in the mouth, and the Bills were bloody and laying on the canvas, and the the, the count was at like 7 or 8. The Bills picked themselves up. They picked picked their bloody carcass up, up off the canvas, got back, and they started punching, and they're a couple horrible non-pass interference calls away from coming back and beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that fourth quarter and not even needing to go to overtime. And regardless of the final actual win or loss or whatever, I think that was a huge thing for this team. This team showed that in the face of adversity, they could claw back and they can fight. I genuinely think they're a different team from that second half against Tampa Bay to the team that we're seeing now. I think they're better equipped to handle a close game and handle adversity and be able to fight and claw and have a little more confidence in themselves. But it's something that is definitely in the back of my mind because It's the Patriots, the stakes are high, it's the playoffs. And I think that ability of, you know, pressing or sugar high Josh Allen, I think it can come out a little bit if this game is close and the stakes are high, but I think this team is better equipped to deal with it at this point, based on what they've shown since that Tampa Bay second half.
1: I'll tell you what, man, I say this, look, I I appreciate every guest I ever have on this podcast. I, I love talking to people and I enjoy it. But this conversation today, I'm telling you right now, and I'm not I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I legitimately, genuinely, not only enjoyed it, I feel like I learned a lot too. Oh, thanks. And man. I, and I mean, and I know people that are listening learn a lot just by spending an hour listening to Anthony. Give him a follow on Twitter at pro underscore ant sky's coverage, the cover one umbrella, man. Just Dude, go to YouTube, hit subscribe on that button. You ain't gonna go wrong. There's like eight different. There's like eight thousand shows on there. <laughs> These guys are all good, man. This was genuinely a lot of fun, dude. Thank you so much, man. This was a good time and a great chat. And I, I, I feel more knowledgeable already.
2: Dude, I sincerely appreciate the kind words, like it that you've warmed my heart on this frigid, cold Buffalo day, this frigid, cold night, man. Like that, that was so awesome to hear. Like I've. I've known of you for a while. I respect your work. I, I told you in the lead and like I was pumped when you followed me, when you DM me, asked me to come on and I'm glad you, you know, had a good time and to, to hear, you know, again, you express those kind words and appreciation for me is, is fantastic. And I had a great time too. This was an awesome time. I like the back and forth. I love your background that people aren't seeing because we're audio only. You got a six setup. I like the, I like the vibe you got. I like the music. It was good from the get go. Like, yeah, you're a good dude and I appreciate you. Appreciate me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Be back. Brand new episode, Casual Friday, with my man, Joe Yurden. Talk to you guys Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know
0: about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy,
1: and vitality.